Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Our guest today is Erin Key. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. It's good to be here. I am so glad to be with you today. Erin Key is a singer, songwriter, and author of Mana for Life's Journey, a selection of poems and song lyrics to strengthen the soul. She's a busy wife and homeschool mother of three, which is a challenge for anyone, but especially for someone who has been diagnosed with autism and whose children are also considered neurodiverse. Erin will be opening our eyes to the neurodiverse community today. Erin's family is a fourth-generation missionary family. Erin has traveled to and lived in places across the United States and around the world, including Outer Mongolia, China, Taiwan, and Brazil. Erin, I see you as compassionate, artistic, generous, kind. How do you see yourself? Wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I'd like to answer that question with a affirmation that I have posted in my kitchen. Um, that's a, just a good reminder for me. Uh, something I need to be reminded of often. Uh, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what others say about me. I'm the beloved of God. No one can take it from me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to hurry. I'm the beloved of God. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. And I guess if you were to ask me who I am, that would be my answer. I'm the beloved of God. And it's been a lifelong journey coming to believe and, and really know that truth. Well, you've had a lot to overcome um, in our previous conversations. For a season, you did believe that you were um, who, who, what you did. Yes. <laughs> How do I say that? I'm not what I do. Yes. So the opposite of that, whatever yes. that is. Performance-based belief. Performance-based. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell us what that was like to live with that mantle. Yes. So um, as, a, as a young child, you know, I, I grew up with the song, Jesus Loves Me. It was one of my favorites. And somewhere along the way, the idea of God's unconditional love got mixed in with a lot of legalism. And I, I grew up as a church kid. And then uh, we got involved with a, um, a religious organization um, called the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which... Um, was very legalistic and a lot of performance-based, fear-based um, ideology. And so as a result of that, I began to believe that my value, my worth, the core of who I was, was based on my performance, my behavior, how well I could, how, how good of a Christian I could be, how many standards I had, how many principles I followed. And when I didn't quite measure up, I was devastated. <laughs> and so I would try harder and then fail. And um, a lot of things that seemed to come easier and more naturally for some people were, were very hard for me. And I 
didn't realize at the time that I was also differently wired. And uh, I also have the gift of neurodiversity uh, and um, was later as an adult diagnosed uh, on the autistic spectrum. Um, and so that manifests in some executive functioning disorder and ADHD and um, just I have a different way of looking at life and, and processing information and relating to people. And so I didn't know all these things as a child. And so when my um, my behaviors would reflect some of these <laughs> challenges, I thought there was something wrong with me and mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. um, you know, beat myself up about that. I think that probably also played into how you saw yourself and how others saw you Mm -hmm. and spoke into Mm -hmm. you. And so when you believe that your worth comes from what you can do, Mm -hmm. then you become a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you give so much of yourself away trying to be everything for everybody Mm -hmm. else. What Mm -hmm. were some of your struggles there? So I'm naturally a bit of a empath. uh, And so I, I can tend to absorb the, the feelings in the room and, and the people around me. And, and I'm very, and a very emotionally <laughs> driven person. Um, so I think I love about you. <laughs> so, um, I'm sorry, what was the question? Uh, how did you overcome other people's expectations right. of you? Or how <laughs> did that, how did that drive you? Okay. So yes, I would, I would, kind of turn into a chameleon, I would mask a lot to try to fit into whatever I felt people wanted me to be. But then at the end of the day, I would be exhausted. Um, I remember going to church and because my dad was on staff, we would, you know, be at every event. And I would the bathroom was my refuge. So um, we'd get there early and, you know, I'd, I'd be all these people and I had to have my Sunday smile on and I had to have my best behavior on. But I could go to the bathroom close the stall and just breathe and just center and be like, okay, this is me. And then as soon as I left, I had to put everything back on and be, um, you know, what I thought I needed to be. And um, it well, hasn't been till recent years that I've learned that I don't have to be anyone but who God made me to be, that that is enough. He's enough. And because he's enough, I'm enough. And he celebrates me. He he made me this way for a reason. And I bring to the world something no one else can bring to it. And, and so learning to celebrate that in myself and also learning to celebrate that in my children and in others, instead of trying to pressure them to be something that they aren't. How did you discover that? Did somebody tell you or did you figure out, you know what, one of these things is not like the other and it's me. It's been a long journey. A lot of people, a lot of books, a lot of just rewiring and recalibrating my thinking on a lot of things. Some, some resources that have helped me have been the book Differently Wired by Deborah Reber. Um, and then Untwisting Scriptures by Rebecca Davis, which has really helped me in some of the, the scriptures that were used to keep me bound up to this legalistic way of thinking and performance-based, fear-based um, living um, and seeing really the heart of God behind things that is so much so much more for me than I used to believe. Um, and then the website... 
recovering grace initially was part of my journey towards freedom and just helping reveal and expose some of the um, lies about um, the teachings um, from the Institute that I had, I had believed and some of that system and, and starting to see that there is a different way. Um, And, and then also just God's, God's love and patience with me. He's sent some dear, dear people into my life that have accepted me exactly the way I am and have spoken into um, those things that they see that are gifts. And, um, and so that has also been a blessing. Um, it's been a journey. It's been a process. Um, my, my husband's, uh, has also been a part of that journey and, and helping me. Um, and, and yeah, just a, a, lo- a wide range of people. I couldn't name them all, but, um, books, people, God, <laughs> Just a lot of things is, have, have helped shape uh, my understanding of who I am now. You called it the gift mm-hmm. of neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always. No. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times when we, when we see people that are different, um, our first instinct is to avoid or to try to minimize those differences or mask those differences instead of accepting them and not just accepting them, welcoming them, and then seeking to accommodate them. And Which is very different than trying to fix them. Exactly, exactly. And I think for a long time I tried to fix myself, thinking there was something broken and wrong with me, and mm, if I could good. just try harder and be more organized and make more lists and do more things. I could, but I was trying to change the way I'm wired, you know, and yes, sometimes there can be resources or skills that can strengthen areas that we need help in. But ultimately I think the most positive change comes from learning to accept ourselves and learning to love ourselves and um andrew peterson has a wonderful song called be kind to yourself and that song i love because sometimes our greatest enemy is ourselves we have to learn to love our enemies and often we're our cruelest enemies in the way we have self-talk negative self-talk and we believe these lies about ourselves that i'm not good enough i'm not you know I'm dumb. I used to, th- I'm a dumb blonde, you know, and, and I would believe those things. And then others would hear how I talked about myself and would feed off of that. And it was like a self-fulfilling thing. And so it's so important, the words that we speak to ourselves and think about and, and believe. So again, that's why I have that daily affirmation I mentioned at the beginning, because mm-hmm. I need that mm-hmm. every day to remind myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad we started our show with that, too, because I think a lot of us could do better by having that as a daily affirmation. So for people that are new to the idea of neurodiversity, can you give us a good definition of that and tell us a little bit what that looks like, or at least in your experience? Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't have the official definition, I guess, but um, the way I see neurodiversity is um, differently wired. I like the I like the term differently wired. It's it's. It encompasses a wide range of neurological differences. So within that range or spectrum, if you will, um, there's um, autism, 
uh, ADHD, uh, dyslexia, um, executive functioning disorder, sensory processing disorder. Um, there's so many different ways that um, it could be manifested. But our family of five, um, myself, my husband, and three children, are all all are what I would consider neurodiverse. And um, my husband, myself, and my oldest son have official diagnosis um, as um, being autistic. And then um, I have, we have some other, uh, like dyslexia and some other uh, learning differences in our family as well. And so for us, it's been a journey of learning how each person's gift, neurodiverse gift, um, manifests itself and how we can um, uncover the best pathways um, to understanding that person. And it's, it's kind of like learning a new language in a way or uh, getting translations <laughs> for different languages because I feel like sometimes we all speak a different language and what one child needs, like I have one child who needs to be moving a lot. And it, if this child does not get movements and her wiggles out, it is hard. And so, um, you know, providing those high impact, um, high energy uh, activities is important. And then other children that need uh, a lot of time to process and transition, uh, process information, and then make, making time for transitions from one activity to the next activity. Um, and then even the way we communicate verbally, my husband is very, um, very direct and very um, just what you say is what you get. And, um, I, I grew up kind of trying to sugarcoat things more. I, you know, I grew up in the South, you know, bless your heart. <laughs> and so everything, you know, a lot of times I learned to use uh, coded language and to try to soften things and not say exactly what I wanted. Because again, with the Institute's teaching, as as a woman, I needed to be submissive and I needed to be very gentle and kind and how I said things and I couldn't just directly ask for what I needed. I had to kind of go around it and kind of try to hint at it. So learning that I can ask directly and um, learning how to to work at different communication styles, whereas my husband is very much attack and just get it all out. I sometimes tend to withdraw and shut down if I'm if I'm struggling with something or just go quiet. And so learning how we each process um, different things and sensory processing disorder, like my um, my some of my children and my husband need um, headsets when we go in public places where there's going to be a lot of noise and sensory um, input and learning that about that need and why that's so important to avoid, um, you know, it just overload and meltdowns and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been a journey uh, for all of us and learning how that all works. <laughs> what are some of the gifts? I can name two. Maybe you have more. <laughs> I think one of the gifts is seeing the world with fresh eyes. That's one of them. 
seeing the beauty. Um, I love this quote by Van, Vincent Van Gogh that was also quoted in Differently Wired. Uh, Normality is a paved road. It's comfortable to walk, but no flowers grow on it. And I've seen so many flowers um, for my children, for my husband, and just the way that they bring to the world things no one else can. And it's it's just so fresh and entertaining and, and fun to see their personalities and their giftings come out in, in unique ways. And Now, those are the two off the top of my head. One, that you become more accepting of mm. people who think differently mm. than you do. Mm-hmm. And two, you see and experience things that most neurotypical people would overlook or just take for granted. Right. Um, and you have to fight for those things. And mm-hmm. so they become more meaningful mm-hmm. to you. We were talking before the mics came on that probably all of the people who are really outstanding in their field, either in the fields of education or invention or music or art, were probably neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. And people told them, you're a horrible student, find something else to mm-hmm. do. And, and they oh. were, um, you know, chastised all the time because they wouldn't mm-hmm. sit down and shut up and, and mm-hmm. fall into line with what everybody else was doing and because they persevered they became great mm-hmm. at what they did and so well, I, I see that as a gift as well if you can if you can endure the constant uh, shaping of society to make you conform exactly. to societal norms right. you can endure that and you can remain true to yourself I think great things are ahead yeah along with that a lot of times there's one of the senses that is uh, accentuated a lot more than another. And so that's a gift as well. It can be a gift and it can also be a challenge. Um, and so, um, there's, there's some people that are, um, neurodiverse or on the spectrum that may be nonverbal or may have one of the senses that they are not able to, um, to use in one capacity or another, but then other senses that are just so rich and so strong. And so like my husband, um, he has very highly sensitive hearing. And so he can hear a pin drop like the other room. And, and so that can be an amazing gift, you know, to be able to hear things like that. Um, but it can also be a challenge when you're in an arena, an arena with (laughs) lots of noise and lots of, you know, things. And, and if people aren't aware of that Mm. and they see him, responding in a way that seems agitated or upset, they may think, what's, what's his deal? What's wrong with him? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, like you said, one of the, the gifts is it's given me eyes of compassion for people and to see, wow, everyone is, is going through something. And maybe before we just react to behaviors, we need to ask questions. And that's something with my children I've been on a, it's been a journey, but a constant thing is my husband and I tell each other, he's like, remember behavior is communication, get curious, not furious, get good. curious, not furious. And That's we good. try to remind ourselves these things because all behavior is communication. And if we just look past the surface, we'll see the person behind it. And it's usually, it, there's usually an, an unmet need if it's a problem behavior if it's a, it's a positive behavior, maybe it's because that need is being met or, you know, it's being accepted and understood. And so, yeah, it's a gift we can offer people is trying to, to see, you know, past that surface. 
Well, I think that's certainly one of the advantages advantages you have over many other people that I know is your high empathy and your willingness to give people space to just be themselves. And it's just a delight to be around you. Well, listeners, we're going to take a break. And when we come back in just a minute, we'll hear the rest of Erin Key's amazing story. As Aaron points out, all behavior is communication. So, faithful listeners, subscribers, supporters, and friends, we hear you. Thanks for liking, subscribing, sharing our shows, leaving us great ratings and reviews, and most of all, for joining us each week for eye-opening experiences as shared by our marvelous guests. I hope you found our conversation last week with Amy Liedebrand, the director of a divorce care group in Irving, Texas, to be enlightening and encouraging. Visit divorcecare.org to find a group near you. There's still time to meet our former guest, Monica Gonzalez, executive director of the Pregnancy Resource Center of Grand Prairie, and get some of the last few remaining seats for the banquet, Grace Over Judgment. That will be held in Grand Prairie, Texas, Thursday, October 27th. Claim your tickets at PRCGP, that's abbreviation for Pregnancy Resource Center of Grand Prairie, PRCGP.org, or through the link on our Facebook page at NowICPod. While you're on our page, join a conversational thread or start one. We always love to hear from you. When you visit our website at nis.media, you can visit our archive of podcasts and blogs you may have missed, sign up for our weekly podcast alerts, check out our featured causes page, and for Amazon Prime members, you can take advantage of Amazon Prime Day discounts when you shop for books on our featured authors page. Gift giving season is just ahead and you might want to stock up. We just added a link to Erin's book, Mana for Life's Journey, and we're adding a gift from Erin to you at the end of our show today. So stay tuned to the very end. But for now, let's get back to our conversation with Erin on the increasingly important topic of neurodiversity. We are back with our guest today, Erin Key. So, Erin, you and I left off talking about how neurodiversity could be a gift. Yes. But you've confessed it's not always. Sometimes there's grief associated with that. Walk us through the process. Um, you're right. It is, at times, a grieving process. Um, this week, I, I was dealing with some feelings of sadness, just... Sometimes I've I've even said the the term, which I'm sure is not a helpful phrase, but just why can't we just be normal? And normal is such a subjective word, and it's like, what does that even mean? Honestly, it's a little um, boring. Is it even? A, you know, but but sometimes that comparison trap can come in, and I can look at families and all the things that they're involved in and able to do, and. I feel like, why can't my family just be able to do stuff like that and handle it? But our family has to do things a certain way because 
we've come to understand our limitations and understand what works for us as a family. And we have to pace ourselves and we have to have margin and we have to provide opportunities for those, that processing time and for those sensory resets, you know, and not just with neurodiversity, but also understanding the differences between introversion and extroversion. Mm -hmm. And I am more of an introvert. And while what? I love people, I know and I would have I, said the opposite. I love people and I can be very outgoing mm -hmm. and friendly because mm -hmm. I want people to feel included. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I have to recharge because it exhausts me. Wow. And I take so much out of me because I'm trying so hard to to, you know, I, I'm not always even trying hard, but I just, I pour so much right. into it and then I get some out, but it's also at the end of the day, it's exhausting. it's exhausting and I have to reset. Whereas extroverted personalities get energy from that and they love it. Raising hands. They, hand they here. love it. Yes. <laughs> so understanding that about myself mm -hmm. and my ch what gives them energy may not give me energy and vice versa. And so, um, so sometimes there's a grieving process in understanding that I'm never going to be an extrovert. I'm never going to be, we're not, we may never be the family that can just jump in the car and go on a, three week road trip without any planning because <laughs> our, our, our family needs planning. It needs structure. It needs, if there's change, we all struggle with it. Mm -hmm. So we have to have a plan. We have to be prepared. And especially my husband, he needs to know how things are going to go. And so, um, so yeah, there, there is a gift associated with, with accepting and understanding um, our strengths and how that's, that's wired. But there can also be a grieving process in realizing that there are certain things that we aren't able to do and, and get letting go of those desires, maybe, maybe dreams of what I thought our family would look like or our marriage would look like or things we would be able to do giving that up and realizing no this is who we are and what what does god have for us here right where we are right right with who we are instead of trying to um be something other <laughs> Well, I, I love that it causes you to live more intentionally. We would all benefit to live life more intentionally. What are some of the things that you wish other people knew about people who are neurodiverse? For neurotypical people, how, what would you like for them to understand about that and, and to respond? How would you like them to respond? That's such a good question. Um, I think, number one, Ask questions. Good. Ask questions. Don't assume. Ask questions. And then try to understand. You may not agree with our answer. You may not agree with our approach. But try to understand and realize that we probably have a reason for why we're doing what we're doing in the moment. And then try to give the benefit of the doubt and, right. and, and grace and yeah. realizing we're figuring this out. <laughs> we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to do our best. Um, but that, so the first one is ask questions. The second is maybe don't give unsolicited advice Good. and don't, don't make statements like vaccines or what cause autism or, you know, X, Y, and Z. If you take this supplement or take this, whatever, this will, 
cure your son's autism, or even we're, we're praying for you to be cured of your autism as if it's a disease. Um, that is, that has happened to me. And so things like that, um, just ask questions, uh, don't give unsolicited advice. Um, if you have, if you have an idea that you think might be helpful, maybe ask, you know, is it okay if I share something? And then this is just something I've heard. I don't know. Approach it from a learner's perspective, not of, I have the answer to fix you. <laughs> well, um, and that often that feels like judgment. It does. Like, why aren't your kids doing this? Yes. And why are your kids right. doing that? Exactly. Um, and so without asking those questions or genuinely wanting to help, you yes. know, just by telling you what you ought to do or how they ought to be or pitying. Yes. Pitying as if, oh, you poor thing or and then also the other one is I feel like sometimes there and and this is everybody's journey is unique. Um, but when there's a lack of self-awareness sometimes, um it's hard sometimes when you see people that seem like they're very obviously on the spectrum, but they aren't self-aware. And they are like and you mentioned that you're, you know, things you're learning or things that you're autistic. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have any of those problems. <laughs> and they are just like, oh, my, our, my kids don't have any, you know. And they, obviously they are trying to stem and do <laughs> And it's like having meltdowns. And it's like, no, our kids don't have any of those problems. Y'all, mm. we love you. and But y'all, mm. y'all have your issues. But we're, you know, because we're doctors, we know mm. all these things. So. Well, that goes back to your opening thing about yeah. living up to other people's yes. expectations yes. and that we, mm-hmm. you know, that's not our burden. Mm-hmm. It's not our obligation mm-hmm. because of who we truly are right. in Christ. Well, let's deal a little bit more specifically with what should the church do? How can the church help families who are neurotypical? Mm-hmm. You say you've not always been served well by the church mm-hmm. community. That's a really, that's a good that's a tough question <laughs> that's because it's hard it, it is hard it is There's it is hard and I think it's hard because a lot of times church is run as kind of a organization and we have to maintain order and we have to, we have liabilities and we want to keep people safe and we don't tend to cater to the margins we tend to cater to the masses <laughs> the masses mm-hmm. And so as a result, a lot of, a lot of people on the margins, a lot of neurodiverse people get kind of left behind or overlooked. And, and so I think, um, some things that can be helpful is to have places, safe places in the church that can be a a quiet place, a, a, a quiet room where you won't be judged if you have to slip away and get your bearings or um or even if if there's an environment where it's too loud the music's too loud or whatever and and certain uh people need to slip out because it's too loud or need to not participate if they aren't jumping up and down and you know getting all into it maybe there's a reason maybe it's not just because they don't love Jesus and so it goes back to just let's not judge people's motives let's try to understand why they might be doing that and also understand that sometimes people don't come to events because they know 
it's going to be an environment that's loud and just overwhelming. And it's not because they don't want to come and they don't want to connect. It's not because they don't love Jesus. It's because they get totally overwhelmed. And then if you understand that, maybe having accommodations where you can do more one-on-one or have a room for kids that need that um, attention, <laughs> attention, or yeah, or, or yeah, just understanding, yeah, um, because we all we all learn and process in different ways, and yeah. I was thinking, um, neurodiverse adults might be able to uh, better self-regulate just because mm-hmm. they've been on the planet longer, mm-hmm. right? Um, what recommendations would you give to Sunday school teachers or mm-hmm. youth group leaders mm-hmm. who have children who are have uh, um, children? W- on the spectrum, on the yeah. autism spectrum, uh, there's going to be some challenges. Would you encourage children with autism to be fully integrated, mm. to have pullout classes? Should, um, are there events that should be only for um, mm-hmm. neurodiverse families where mm-hmm. you can connect? And uh, or, or would you prefer integration? What would work well for your family? So we've kind of had some trial and error and tried some hybrid type situations. One thing I really appreciate about our church um, is that they do, they do try to be intentional about providing resources and support for uh, neurodiverse families. And one thing that I know they, they provide or have on hand are headsets, weighted blankets, sensory toys, things like that, that kids might need at different points in the thing. And they've, in different points in the um, teaching. And then they've, they try to train the teachers to be on the lookout for when a kid is feeling overwhelmed or needs to set up. So I think training is a big part and making your teachers and volunteers mm-hmm. aware mm-hmm. That, that you have kids mm-hmm. that have these struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to integrating integration, I feel like it's, it's still kind of tricky because um even with some of those resources, it can still be hard for some mm-hmm. kids. So, mm-hmm. for example, my children still, um, my my one of my children um, still does not attend the children's classes. He he attends the service with us and sits with us because for him that's just easier for him uh, for the processing and. Um, and and then you know some days you know well we we kind of we growing up <laughs> with the mentality of you know you have to go to church every sunday mm-hmm. every class you know you know that was just ingrained and i get that i mean i think that uh, my parents were doing the best they they could do and and, well, and wanting that generation me to, and wanting me and to love jesus yeah and that, that was, was just what was expected right exactly but i my husband and i both feel like we need to communicate with our kids and collaborate. And if, if our kids are having a really hard morning and need to sit with us or need to go to the bathroom during the church service because the music's getting too loud or the lights are, you know, mm-hmm. too dark or whatever it mm-hmm. is, um, they're free to go excuse themselves to go to the bathroom or do what they need to do to just reset and um and so just giving them some of that freedom and sometimes we don't <laughs> gasp we don't attend church no. we stay home and watch it online in our pjs and 
that sometimes is what we need as a family is to reset. And I like that the church that we go to, I feel gives us the freedom to do that. Nice. And, um, and I think more churches, it would be good to recognize that just because someone's not physically at church, maybe don't, don't just assume that, right. that they've just walked away altogether. Maybe, maybe they need a break. Maybe sure. they are just resetting and maybe check up on them and just see, Hey, how's, how's your week going? Um, and what can we be doing? I think uh, one thing I really appreciated about our children's minister is she asked me, what can we be doing to serve our families better, our, especially our neurodiverse families? That's a good question. And I think that's a question every, every teacher, every church leader needs to be asking, not just the children's leaders. I think all the church leadership needs to be asking, how can we serve our neurodiverse members better? And those on the margins that don't feel comfortable in different settings, because a lot of times the people up front leading church are extroverted types or are um, neurotypical types. Not always, Mm -hmm. but but sometimes they are. And if that's if that is the culture, then there's not a lot of room for people that don't fit that paradigm so providing alternatives providing accommodations or or just asking what would help it goes a long way because we may not know i mean like it's a process and it may change from and it could change and and the needs may change and and if you met one autistic person you met one autistic person because we're all different it's a spectrum and so don't assume that you understand what autism is don't assume you understand what adhd is don't assume you understand what living with neurodiversity and special needs is like, because it varies from family to family, and you need to ask questions, ask them, mm-hmm. how are you mm-hmm. doing? So that's something life groups can do. That's yes, something good. small groups can do. How can we better support you and understand, you know, what you need, and then work together to make that so that everyone's thriving and not Good. just those that just naturally fit in that that box. <laughs> I think even beyond acceptance, though, we should be asking, how can we benefit from the gifts yes. of oh, yes. neurodiversity? Exactly. How can we better engage you? How can we help your children feel like they're part, that they're giving significantly to yes. our programs and involved and that we're counting on them and their participation and their giftedness? Um, I think we could be doing yeah, a better job of that, sure. too. So not just making space for acceptance. Well, but we're tolerating you. You're tolerating <laughs> yeah. that. Right, right, right. To say, no, we're welcoming that. Right. We're celebrating yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for ways to engage. Um, So as we close out our show today, is there anything that you'd like people to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? Wow, I just so appreciate um, you having me on. and uh, such an important topic. (laughs) And you're one of the best voices for it. So I really appreciate (laughs) being here. Um, I actually, I I read a verse this week, and I think I'd like to just end with this. Um, It's Philippians 1, uh, verses 9 through 11. And And it goes like this, uh, for this, I pray that your love may increase ever more and more in knowledge and full insight to enable you to discover what is really important so that on the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus, Jesus Christ, for the glory and praise of God. 
I love that because whether you're neurotypical or neurodiverse, you can live a life that brings honor to God. You know, he made us, he loves us, and he's given us a place to serve and to be part of a community. It's time we all recognized that and celebrated that. Thank you so much for this conversation. Like I said, it was an important one, and I'm so glad we got to have it. Thanks, listeners, and we'll see you again next week. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week. Jesus, you are enough. Lord, may I love as you love. Help me to walk in your light, to not be afraid of the night, and may my life be a vessel of mercy. May my lips be filled with your praise. May my heart be moved with compassion. May I never lose sight of your grace. Jesus, you are enough. Thank you for your lavish love.